Welcome to the podcast Not So Serious, presented by Marketing Mag. This is the podcast about communications, but not so serious. Each episode, we're going to talk to a brand or a business about how they used their marketing to make waves, not ripples. In the second part of our chat with Jess, we speak about the slurpy clapback, cheeky tone of voice, and the roadblocks that have come with social change. I remember seeing you guys talk um, at a festival a few years ago, and you were talking about making it in the kitchen, and it was just a mess everywhere. But it just, in my head, it sounded like so cool, like these girls doing it all like themselves. It felt very like sisters. Like it was, it was so fun, and like we have two other business partners. Bree's husband is one of our business partners and my ex-partner, who's now one of my best mates, is our other business partner. So there's the four of us together. I have to be really honest, like the guys did so much of the the dirty work. Yeah. Because we were really focused on the brand and the social channels were a 24-hour-a-day job at the time. Yes. Like we were waking up. There was no scheduling tools. We took it in turns to set alarms and wake up at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and post for the other time zones. Yes. And, you know, Christmas Day, you're sitting there at the table frantically replying to messages. That's what it took at the time to grow. Thank God social has changed because yes. that was exhausting. No, the not having a scheduling thing for Instagram. Oh, yeah. I just <laughs> quickly look back and I'm like, yeah. oh. yep. It was yeah. a lot. And we're posting, you know, 12, 15 times a day. Wow. that was what the algorithm was driven by volume. And that was before stories. It was before stories. It was just posts. There was nothing else at the time. Yes. Yeah. And while we were doing that, Alex and Steve were really focused. Like they were literally elbow deep in barrels of coffee scrub, <gasps> mixing it hand by hand. We had a little um, cement mixer that we called Frank the Tank. So you put <laughs> it in there and swirl it around and we had a packing station of friends. Yeah. We would just help pack the bags and send it off. It was that's so grassroots. It's pretty amazing. Like has to be. Yeah. 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 And you can still do that. I don't you look at the polished, finished version of a brand ten years later and people expect that that's what they launch with. Like if you use tools to go back and look at the first website that we launched with. Jesus. No, I love I love looking at those old websites. I think they're so funny. So I want to talk about different marketing that you guys do that isn't just influencers because my favourite thing that you guys have done recently is when 7-Eleven released a coffee scrub, (laughs) you guys, shots fired, you came back and you guys released a Slurpee scrub as a joke, a nice marketing little campaign. How important is it for you guys just to be really on the money and be very irreverent? That original tone that you have where it's really cheeky, that's still just so important for you? It's the core of the brand, the heartbeat of the brand. It's definitely evolved over time. I don't think we're maybe as in your face as we were 10 years ago. You mature as people and as a brand, but that was like the holy grail of opportunities to come back and have something fun. I was really, really proud of the way the team took it. So it was one of those things you have to lead by example. I was just on our Frank account commenting little sunglasses and popcorn emojis while I was watching all of the comments unfold across um, Adore Beauty and 7-Eleven's accounts. Yeah. So we have to respond to this, but it has, you have to really nail the the tongue in cheap. It needs to be a very friendly clap back, not a slap back. Getting that, you know, balance right was really key, but God, it was so much fun. The team, the whole team just sort of focused their energy on that and turned it around in a couple of hours. Yes. I, I mean, that, that clap back hit my inbox so quickly and I was like, <laughs> this is so exciting. I love this because it felt, 7-Eleven has really great copy. They're really talented um, team of copywriters. And so to watch... Two really talented team of copywriters go at it. It's fun. It's like watching the Gruen in real life. It was. Yeah, I get what you mean. We loved that too. We thought, okay, I really hope they'd take this in the way that it's intended and we can have a bit of a banter, funny sparring match online. And they did. They were so good. You know, it was the ultimate 
show of respect between marketing teams. Like, we think what you did is great. We think what you did is great. Now let's have some fun with this and make it, you know, even greater for everyone. Because I do think that with marketing, sometimes we're nervous to to do that. But I see it on Twitter accounts and things like that from overseas, like these fast food accounts always comment on each other and they have so much fun. And I look at that and, um, you know, I'm like, God, when I was in copywriting, I would have loved to have done that, but I never would have even approached my boss and gone, do you think this is something we can do? So the fact that you're empowering your team to be able to do that, what an exciting time to be in your team as well. They are the most amazing, talented team, but I really do think the ability for a marketing team to operate that comes from the leadership. And it's also part of the brand. Like it's part of our DNA. It was no question that we would respond in that way. Whereas the next brand along, it might not make sense for them to do that. And the, the opportunity, you just sort of leave it on the table. If you want your brand to be known for that, you sort of have to yeah. lead with action. Yeah. Because I guess you use Willow and Blake as the agency that does all of Frank or is that all in-house now? It's a combination of both. We yeah. have an amazing in-house creative team. So it started with Willow and Blake and as Frank grew, we grew our own separate creative teams and I just work across the both. Mm. Um, they all sit right next to each other, share one big office together. Yeah. But they're separate teams now. And how important is it for you just to let them kind of run wild with their ideas? Like no no idea is too big or anything like that? I think you need to give people parameters. Otherwise you set them up for failure. Yeah. I don't like really vague briefs to my team because then they do, they reach for the sky and I'm like, oh, sorry, we need to only go to the second story. Yeah. So <laughs> um, let's rein it in a little bit. Yeah. I think that's what makes a good marketer being very clear in your objective and brief, as boring as that is, it gets the most clever result at the end. And it cuts back the back and forth. Oh yeah. I have no time for 400 rounds of feedback. Yes. And we did that one in a very casual way. I vetoed things on the spot. That's not appropriate. That's not clapping. That's slapping. Let's go down that direction. (laughs) And you know, you have that ability as the founder to make those really clear decisions and then you let them run with it. I think another big thing with your marketing is the packaging itself. How important was that packaging to be it was it's so simple and so it's quite old school and it's designed like a like a lunch bag or something yeah. like that but I love it was that really important for you guys I spend so much of my day and my life in packaging land um yeah. you know the old school brown bag that we launched with the coffee bag was yep. so synonymous with Frank and the steps that we've taken to evolve our packaging have been driven by two things so We were the coffee scrub brand, but that's not who we are anymore. Mm. We're a clean beauty brand and we had to take steps away, steps to separate us from that, you know, the the prior version or the identity that we had built around that to help us build more authority as a leader in beauty. So that was a decision for why we stepped away from the brown bag. But the simplicity of it is the packaging that we have now is just part of our you know, no bullshit, no frills approach to things. Like yeah. they don't need to make things more complicated. We don't need a name for a product that's seven words long. It's mm. just a coffee scrub. People in beauty and people in marketing and copywriters as well can make things so much more complicated than they need to be. Yeah. Um, you know, there's logistical reasons that we've got so much compliance from different areas of the world. So we needed to create a simple design that allowed us to translate things into 4,000 languages on the back of the bag and huge sustainability efforts from the, from the team in terms of why we've chosen certain materials and moved in different directions. So the bags are recyclable as opposed to the Mm. ones that weren't, that we used prior. Always so many bits and pieces that go into the decisions that we've made, but we always wanted them to act as mini billboards for us. When you saw something from Frank, it was recognizably us. Because your typography, very recognisably you, and that's been 
Was that the original? Yeah, that's the original. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting because it, you know, seeing that serif font in a land of sans serif brand, (laughs) we just live in a world of, you know, brands that look very similar to each other. And it's, I've dealt with team members over the years who sort of pitch these ideas and looks very glossy. I'm like, but that's not who we are just because that's cool and that brand is doing it. That doesn't mean that it's right for us. It's really easy for marketers and creatives to get swayed by what they're seeing elsewhere instead of sticking to who you are as a brand and owning that. I think as copywriters, one of the things that we do is because you're creatively minded, but you're selling to the masses. And so you do these long drawn out like descriptions of things when really the most effective copy is sometimes those ones that's just like three words in a row, like, you know, keeping it so like strict and simple. And you guys were able to do that so well because all of your products you can pronounce, all of the all of the ingredients in your products you can pronounce. So I feel like just from the start, you were able to, everything is simple. Yeah. It's funny you say that. We were going through a tone of voice audit yesterday <laughs> and our copywriter and creative director had written in there, you know, and everything you can pronounce. I was like, you actually can't anymore because some of the botanical names I have no idea how to even say these words anymore. They're so complex just because they're natural or clean. Jesus, it's getting complicated out there. But yeah, we do try to keep it straightforward where we can. I don't, there's no point making things bigger than Ben-Hur. And we're not, you know, doing surgery. We're not sending rockets into space. We're selling beauty products. Let's just be really honest about that. We can do it really, really well and we can have a lot of fun while we're doing it. But it was really why I wanted to talk to you because I love the ethos of this podcast. Like there's so much ego and bullshit in marketing. Like we just don't have to be so serious all the time. Well, I remember someone once said to me when I was doing my master's in PR, it's PR, not ER. (laughs) And I was like... And I think about Thanks it for all the, the time. reality check. When yeah. I have missed a deadline, I'm like, no one else knows. This is, or, you know, a spelling mistake goes out. This is the interesting thing, even going back to those, um, you know, call out accounts, mistakes really do happen. Mm. And it means that there was a human at the other end of it producing yep. that. And it was someone who's worked 50 hours this week. <laughs> like, you know, someone who's gone back to yeah. a share house at the end of the day. Like, it's copywriters and things like that. We put so much pressure on ourselves. And I do think that I really love our generation of brands that's coming about because we're wearing that now. And I think that Frank has been able to do that. And it, I mean, the name Frank, how many other names did you guys throw around before you got to Frank? Because that is so great. Our co-founder came up with one that we didn't like and it was the first one we pitched back. And we just said, we know it needs to be this. And two of our co-founders were a little bit apprehensive. They don't have a branding background. And we just said, you just need to trust us on this. This is what we do. This is why you wanted to work with us because we know how to create brands that are different and are memorable just please believe in us. I promise naming a beauty brand, Frank, is going to pay off yeah. in the end. And it did. Were they were they cautious because, you know, it's a traditionally male name? Were they cautious, yeah, because it's so simple? I think it was because it was so different to anything and it's a name in the industry. You know, we were dealing with the Estee Lauders and L'Oreal's of the world at the time, just nothing that is so dominant in our lives now existed at the time. Mm. You know, there was really Glossier that had launched. Um, it's still quite yes. a feminine name, it really. Um, we liked the gender neutrality of Frank, even though he did, you know, start as a character that was male at heart. It's yeah. really evolved over the time. To, there is no gender to Frank anymore. It's just, you know, fun quips and Frank can be whoever you want him to be or whoever you want her to be. Yeah. Or them. 
I also, yeah, (laughs) I also think that one of the best things that you guys did, and I actually think you were probably one of the early adopters of it, was you spoke to us like, hey girl, hey you. I remember reading that as a baby copywriter and thinking like, what? It's, you can personalize things. And I still see all of your mail outs and things like that today. That's still really a part of you. Did you feel like that was taking a risk at the time? No, not at all. It didn't feel risky to us. It felt like something that was missing in the way that brands were communicating with the people who were buying their products. Yeah. They were treating them like a number and not like a person. So for us, building a relationship with someone beyond the product was really important. And how do you do that? You acknowledge that they're a person and that they exist. Yeah. It's definitely evolved. You know, babe was what we used all the time and it's just not as relevant in 2022 and we don't say that as much. We find different ways to acknowledge the reader or the customer. And how often do you do a stock take of the copy like what you were doing yesterday? Every couple of years. It doesn't need to be more frequent than that. I think you can have mm. too many cooks in the kitchen and you butcher the tone of voice. You want it to be strongly branded as well. You do. It needs to the core of the brand needs to carry through. It's just these little tweaks that we do along the way to the design and the copy, or I'll see things that have gotten a little bit far away from who I think we really are, Mm. the nature of a business that's growing. You have so many people working across different projects and that will be the catalyst for starting a brand audit. Have you had to change things to be more um, inclusive or gender inclusive or, um, you know, that language that we're really seeing more and more? Has that been a big kind of um, stock take that you guys have had to do probably in the last four or five years? Definitely. Uh, I would love to say that we got that right from the start, but I don't think anybody did. You know, we we grew up and evolved as individuals and that informed what we took back into the way that we operated as a brand. And I'm very proud of the very progressive and inclusive team that we have who really keep that at the forefront. Doesn't mean we don't ever get things wrong. We 100% do. And yesterday we were even talking about things, you know, really common vernacular or old poems like, he loves me, he loves me not. As simple as it is, and it's a saying that we all know, it's very heteronormative. Does Mm. it have a place in our brand? Because we are inclusive. There's really tiny nuances that could be overlooked by a lot of other brands, but I think that's how you build a really solid foundation. You have discussions about those sort of things. Absolutely. And I feel like in that, this next generation of language that we're looking at, it wouldn't be he loves me, it would be I'm loved. Exactly. Because it's all about that self-love as well. It is a challenge when we've grown up for five or six years using certain languages and things like that, but the challenge is awesome. It's a really fun one, I, I think, is you'd be so foolish to not put your brand, like to not change your brand to be a part of that like challenge as well. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's met with so much apprehension from a lot of people who just are very resistant to change yeah. on all fronts. And I think we know the type of people that they are. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it speaks volumes as to the type of people within an organisation, I think, as to whether they're really going to embrace I don't think it's even the opportunity. It's like the necessity to change with the times and make sure that everyone has a seat at the table. What are some of the early roadblocks that you guys have had in your career? What can you really think um, (laughs) as being like, that was a massive challenge that I thought I'm going to hang it up now? I'd say one of the biggest roadblocks when it comes to branding and marketing was the really epic changes we saw in social a couple of Mm. years after we launched. And, you know, I reflect on it now, we had a lot of our eggs in one basket. We were pretty much relying on Instagram to do all of the heavy lifting for us. And when that changed, the bottom fell out of the business. So we spent the next one or two years really recovering from that and looking at how we diversified our marketing strategy. But there were times in there where I think we all thought 
should we just call it a day? Like that was really yeah. fun. Should we just let it go now? <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't. It's really easy to give up in those times because yeah. that's when you get to the next really great time. That was the one of the biggest challenges I've seen. And then like everyone, the last two years, trying to be creative and optimistic through that <laughs> was tough. But let's go back to when you had to change tact. What was the tact? When Instagram started to very much shift and it became I mean, I would say really expensive as well. And all of a sudden it was pro- like promoting ads on it too. Mm-hmm. So you were paying a lot of money for influencers to use your product instead of just sending them products. Yeah. And also the algorithm favours those who pay. So that's another kind of cost. So what what did you do when you changed tact? What was the main thing? I could sum it up by saying we were almost 100% organic marketing. Yeah. To no longer being the case and everything became pay to play. Yeah. We looked at wherever you could amplify organic content, that became huge for us and we needed to create a more robust email marketing strategy and a refreshed organic content strategy, but Mm. really looking at how we were using paid channels and how we started to quantify the results we were getting from influencers because now we had to pay them. We had to pay them a lot of money and it was a huge risk because we'd never had to do that before. Now you know how to measure ROI and that stuff. But at the time, are they top of the funnel? Are they driving conversions? I don't know because this is brand new and no one's ever had to pay these people to do this work before. And you know, you're getting requests for a, a $20,000 post from some influencers straight off the bat. I got <laughs> half a year's salary for a lot of people. Yeah. And influencers clean their feeds all the time to suit their aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So you're working with quite an unpredictable medium. So when you buy a magazine ad, it sits in that magazine and it sits there forever and mm-hmm. people don't read it forever, but it sits there forever. If you put it into an influencer's Instagram feed, it can sit there for a week. It can sit there for five years it might not even be, like, you just don't know. Yeah, I think that's where you have to get really smart with the contracts. Yes. What do you think about TikTok? I'm always interested. I feel like a geriatric when I use TikTok. I'm yes, 36 me, years old. Me too. And I don't know how it works. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's hugely important. And thankfully, I have a younger, more enthusiastic team who mm. really um, love to use it. The customer that we've noticed on TikTok is a little bit more fad-driven and transient than the consumers we acquire through Facebook and Instagram. Mm. I don't know whether that's to do with age, stability of income because of their age, or just because it's such a trend-based platform. Something is cool one day and it's not cool the next. Yeah, We're looking at different ways we can use it because I think if you get the content piece wrong, it's really naff. And you'll get torn to shreds for that. And it's a lot of work trying to create that content versus the opposite approach where you let other people create the content for you. Yes. Which is, you know, a tried and tested method on Instagram as well, but you can get away with it a lot more on TikTok. You don't necessarily need to be making your own content. You can just work with influencers and let them build awareness of the product or the brand. Yeah. There's that Australian uh, label, Avira. They do the period pain device and they yes. um, they were doing their TikTok all normally and it was kind of going okay. And then all of a sudden they started doing sex ed lessons on there and answering really sticky questions, mm-hmm. so to speak. And they got a million organic followers from that, which I just thought, wow, you guys really understood 
you got, you got the brief. You got the brief. Yes, yeah. You got, you understood the brief. Yeah. Because I'm finding, I mean, I don't even have a TikTok account. I use it to go onto it for work and things like that. And I'm just like, oh my god, everyone on here is so intimidating. Like they. Yeah, are do so... you think about yourself when you were 15 versus yes. 15 year olds now? They're like, so hey, confident. They have more shit together more than I do. Yeah. They're so confident. I was there, like putting silly song lyrics as my MSN name and signing back on so my crush could notice me. And they're oh. like TikTok. I was there with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I had like a death cap cutie. It was so Um, The last thing, we always ask our guests, what brand, business or influencer locally do you think we should all be keeping our eye on? Oh, okay. I am obsessed with Milk Run. (gasps) Me too. Oh my God. Well, it's the guy from Koala. It is. Clever, clever guy. I saw my first Milk Run bike yesterday and I nearly like waved to him and I'm like, he's just a bike rider. I know, but you're like, but you're doing God's work. Hey, that's right. You're not a celebrity. You're a bike rider. You're a bike rider, but you know, you're really helping people out. I love everything about it. When I saw it launch in Sydney, I thought this is such a clever concept and I was hooked and there are very few brands that can do that to me. I loved the way, I loved the business model. That's so smart. And the way that they presented themselves as a brand, I love their like ongoing cheeky clapback. Mm. It's at their trolls slash reviewers. I just like, I just think that they're nailing so many things on the head. Thank you so much, Jess. That was so fun. Thanks for having me. 